Like a lot of other children, when I was small I was fascinated by dinosaurs. Kids like things with power, probably because they have so little of their own. They like diggers, earth movers, monsters and dinosaurs. Anything that could make the earth shake and be as loud as it wanted to be. Of course, as we grow up we stop believing in monsters, for the most part. And yet the fascination with dinosaurs, real life monsters who breathed air, drank water and ate food just as we all do those things, still holds an appeal for us. A lot of folklore dovetails nicely with paleontology, and as we move into cryptozoology, the study of unknown creatures considered to be mythical, the image of the dinosaur comes up again, reaching out from 65 million years ago to remind us that they were once as real as you and me. The Loch Ness Monster is one of the most famous examples, and whilst most people would hesitate to say they believe in sea monsters, the idea that Nessie could be a plesiosaur with its Latin taxonomy and air of scientific classification makes it seem a little more real. However, you don't have to go all the way to Loch Ness to explore the dark waters between cryptids, sea monsters and dinosaurs. Some are even said to swim in East Anglian waters. My name is Richard Shepard and this is Hallowed Histories. On Eccles Beach, a beautiful stretch of quiet sand and grass on the North Norfolk coast, there have been two sightings of an unusual sea creature, one dead, one very much alive. The former was found by a correspondent to the Eastern Daily Press, who reported finding the body of a creature washed up on the shore. Even though part of the tail was missing, the discoverer was still struck by the considerable length of the beast, which was described as fish-like with a few curious anomalies. Firstly, what remained of the tail was more reminiscent of a crocodile than a fish, and the head of the creature was wreathed with what appeared to be feathers. Lastly, the correspondent hints that the creature was skeletal in the way that fishes just usually weren't. The correspondent gives us enough detail to tantalise us, but not enough to really satiate our curiosity, and ends with the maddening news that the body is buried somewhere along the beach. Why it was not recovered, preserved and given further study is not mentioned, but as we have seen before with other episodes about the North Norfolk coastline, whatever is washed up there may bring its own misfortune. This letter was written in 1936, and seemed to herald an era of sea monster sightings in the Eastern Daily Press Letters column. Another letter written chronicles experience of another correspondent who had a close encounter on Eccles Beach. This gentleman at least has a name, and furthermore he had witnesses who backed up his claim. His letter, dated August 6, 1936, was signed by Herbert Whittard. Now, that name would have carried some weight to the readers of the Eastern Daily Press. You see, Herbert Whittard wasn't just some beachcomber. He'd been the mayor of Norwich in 1927. And Whittard, unlike a lot of his predecessors of the post, had been born into poverty and worked himself up the political ladder. One of the many jobs he'd had growing up was as a cabin boy in the fishing boat working out of nearby Great Yarmouth. And this alone would have given his story some weight. He was a sensible, practical man who knew the sea. Whittard's story, and again it's tantalisingly short, was that he, along with two fellow politicians, were walking along Eccles Beach in the summer of 1927, around 7.25 at night. The trio noticed something out in the darkening sea, described as an unusual form travelling swiftly about one mile from the shore. Looking at it from a distance, Whittard noticed, it appeared in the form of a huge serpent about 30 to 40 feet in length, and skimming the surface of the water in a worm-like movement, travelling at a terrific speed. Certainly not less than a mile a minute, he recalled. Whittard never spoke again about the sea monster, 
This story seemed to have ignited something of a fever for sightings of sea creatures in the late 1930s, at a time when people would have more reason to watch the seas for invading German forces than sea serpents. These sea monsters all seem to have developed a particular interest in politics, and the next people to have a close encounter was in 1938, and the victims were Ernest Watson and William Harrington. Harrington was a former Southwold town councillor, and befitting a man who represented the seaside community, had a lot of experience with sailing. One morning the two men were trawling for Seoul four miles out from the coast, and having filled their nets they turned around and headed for home. They were stopped by the horrible sight of a large serpent in the water, cutting them off from the shore. They lay 40 yards away from their small fishing boat, and was travelling at, they guessed, around 30 knots. If this was Whitard's monster, it had grown, and Watson and Harrington guessed it was around 50 to 60 feet long now. They described its bent neck and camel back, where it seemed to loop in and out of the water and would have towered over the boat if it had not mercifully kept its distance. Again, exact description is just out of reach. Watson and Harrington wasted no time in telling their story, and even crafted a model of the creature they had seen, which stood on display at the Southward Museum for years before vanishing, presumably thrown out by a curator whose tastes didn't run to the fanciful. In the late 1930s, though, the word was out. There was something in the water. The next person to have a sighting wasn't a politician, though, but a clergyman, the Reverend R. N. Pike, the vicar of Southwold. Now, Southwold, being a small, pretty place with lots of money, could afford to give the Reverend Pike a sea view cottage to live in, and it was in his own front garden, standing with his wife and another clergyman, the Reverend W. N. Welch, that he saw something travelling swiftly through the water. He described the creature as dark in colour, but not black, with several parts of it sticking out of the water in the looped formation described by Watson and Harrington. However, this time the length was incredible, Pike comparing it to twice the length of Southwold Pier, which had put it at a staggering 1,000 feet long. The Reverend Welch, like Whitard and Harrington, knew a lot about the sea and could not even begin to reconcile it with any known species of fish. The speed of the thing as it hastened out to sea was also staggering. Pike estimated the speed at around 40 miles an hour. Maybe less than a year later they might have assumed Nazi submarines to be the culprit, or even the Royal Navy conducting its own tests in submersibles. But all the witnesses were adamant that they had seen a living, breathing creature. During the war the sightings died down, and after the war the sightings grew more sporadic, and few now remember the monster panic of the 1930s, let alone try to explain it. Those who did assumed that the men exaggerated the sighting of one of the many eels that frequented the rivers and broadlands of Inland Norfolk, or that it had seen an unusually large fish entangled in fishing gear, or dragging a string of boys behind it to provide the humps that were seen in each case. However, it seems that no matter how good the explanation is, the sea monster won't vanish. A new documentary entitled Fact or Fiction, The Norfolk Sea Creature, is being released soon and promises to shed new light on our unquiet shores. And finally, to bring us back to where we started, the sea gave up one of its secrets in January 2021. While draining a lagoon in the Rutland Water Nature Reserve, conservationists found the intact skeleton of Britain's largest marine dinosaur, the ichthyosaur. Until about 95 million years ago, these creatures had been the true sea monsters, apex predators more than 30 feet in length, with a long, sinuous body that could have pushed its way through the water at high speed, forelaunching its long fangs into the ancestors of squids and dolphins. A truly fearsome sight, and maybe, perhaps, an alternative explanation for what still might be patrolling the shores of East Anglia.
Thank you very much for listening to the Hallowed Histories podcast. It's hosted by me, Richard Shepard, with research done by Dr. Linda Shepard and technical wizardry by Stephen Leslie Parks. Please remember to like, subscribe, rate and review the podcast on wherever you find podcasts. And feel free to write to us at hallowedhistories at gmail.com. And we look forward to uh, seeing you again next month. Thank you very much.